Hello, and welcome to the Nostalgia Podcast. A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens. My name is Eric Lefebvre. And my name is Jessica Dressero. And this week, we watched Men in Black and Men in Black International. Technically a part four, but also kind of a redo. Yeah, kind of a redo. Yeah. They, because like they redid the whole Men in Black Agency uh, backstory too. Yeah. Which um, was better, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of things about that movie were better. Okay, so uh, Men in Black, the first one. I watched this when it came out. I fucking loved it. I would watch it just whenever because it's just a silly, whatever, nonsensical, alien, get a movie. Um, and I was really stoked on the new one. I just hadn't watched it yet because I love Tessa Thompson so much. Mm. Um, and I love, I love Tessa Thor's, Thompson. And I was like, I'm sorry, Valkyrie and Thor are in another buddy movie together? Literally. Like, stop, I'm here for this. Um, yeah. And for some reason, I never watched it. But all of my expectations were met and exceeded with that film. Oh, okay. So <laughs> I'm excited to talk about that one because I feel, I feel fine about it. And that's kind of it. Oh, really? I thought it was yeah. so fun. I, well, I, okay, I'm excited to get into it. And I feel, and I honestly think it's not like a content discrepancy, but more of just a personal taste discrepancy, possibly. Okay. Because it's not, sure. there's nothing, nothing within it that I'm like, well, this was a mess. It's more of just like, a, oh, okay. Like, I recognize that for me, it's not as interesting, but mm-hmm. just aesthetically not content. Lee. I didn't necessarily need some of like the forced romance moments. Oh my um, god! Yeah, like that was a little bit like uh, I mean they're, they're buds. Just let them be buds. Just let them be platonic. Why do they? Why do you have to? Pre- oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I do have some some notes. I'm yeah. I've got some stuff to say. Should we get into it? Let's do it. Let's just jump okay. right in. This is going to be a fun it. week. NYPD officer James Edwards III is actively chasing down a perfectly normal subject, only to find out there's nothing normal about him at all. He's an alien. After being laughed at by his superiors, Agent K from the Men in Black shows up and immediately neuralizes James, a pivotal tactic used by his agency that erases the subject's memory, allowing the agent to gaslight the victim into believing the narrative of the agent's choosing. K then proceeds to offer freshly neuralized James a job with the incredibly capitalist alien tracking shadow organization, MIB, for the small, inconsequential price of his literal existence in society. James accepts the offer and becomes Agent J, so original, while his mentor K shows him the ropes, kind of. Meanwhile, a literal big-ass sentient cockroach alien illegally lands on Earth, kills and wears a gross man's skin, and begins his search for a marble that contains an entire galaxy. He kills a few highborn aliens under MIB's protection, which draws Agent K and J to meet Laurel, the mortician. After far too many double entendres, J and K head out to catch the cockroach, and the movie is over. JK, Laurel is kidnapped, and KJ goes to save her and the rest of the world from the big bad bug. Love. Big J- bad bug. I the JK joke is fantastic. Thank you. K and J, and J then and KJ, K, JK. Which is a, you know, karaoke jockey. So, try hey, to. Hey. Also, in the next one, they are H&M. Are they really? Uh-huh. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
What was the one? Which one was it with? Ah, oh, fuck. Maybe it was the third one with Andy Warhol where they go back in time. That's the third one. I never watched the third one. I only remember it because I love Bill Hader and Bill Hader plays Andy Warhol. So oh, I was like, ooh. That um, yeah, I don't think I, I don't know if I ever saw the second and third. I think I've only ever seen the first one because I, I hadn't seen International until this I swear I've seen the second time. one. Maybe it would jog our memory. Maybe it's like, like something we saw back, and just right? forgot. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of the things is like bringing Kay out of retirement where he's like happy. <laughs> yeah. But I was bummed because who is who plays the mortician? She doesn't come back, right? I don't think they, so. They like Which, do a they do a whole setup whole for her and Will her. to be like the new Men in Black, where it's like no cis white men, and you're like, this is fantastic. And then she doesn't and come back to the second one, and you're bring like, bring back the cis het white men. Yeah, where you're like, <laughs> the oh, old cis het white man. I mean, a lot of films in the '90s did that, where they set up like this amazing character, and then for the sequel, they're not there, like Blade. I forget her name, but the uh, the lead, uh, the romantic interest for Blade is fucking cool. And she's like a phlebotomist and she like is actually the reason that a lot of things happen and go their way and like fucking into it. And then she's just gone in the second one. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, why do you yeah. set up these? Like, they bring back fucking everybody else except for the women. I mean, honestly, whenever this would happen, I would always just assume it's like a contract thing. Like maybe somebody was already contractually obligated to do something else, and it's like I mean, it, it seems happens too often to women. To women, for that's it to true. Be a, a but but what thing. I think that might be is like a payment thing, where like you're not paying me enough for this. They're like, okay, well, we're not going to pay you more. They're like, well, then I'm not doing it. They're like, that's fine. Uh, I mean, the women aren't even written into it. They're just like, and there's not even like a that's line true. of like. So it's like Cause it, it's it just it a seems, complete afterthought. I mean, do we seems, expect Hollywood to think about women? No. But it does seem like such like a. Like, even apart from the misogyny of it, it does seem like a creative hiccup, like a glaring mistake. <laughs> you I know mean, what I mean? It like happens you've too already, often. It happens it too to, often. But for it's, it to it's, be like a thing, yeah. But that's why, like, even us, we're not invested in this IP, but it's both like, yeah, why What didn't she come back? They set it up. It doesn't make sense that she's not a part of the story moving forward. She was forward. one of the best parts of the movie, too, where she's Her, just like... I, I prefer dead people. Fuck you. Like, her character was so cool. Like she was, she was so casual. She was so confident. Like every time before they would just like neuralize the shit out of her. She's like, there's aliens. I knew it. Fuck. Yeah. I've been thinking about this and I knew it and I'm so on board for this. Let's go. And they're like, no, she's just, she's sick. I loved her. But a lot of the writing was, uh, for her was there to like serve the men, Them. right? Yeah. Like she's like standing next to Will Smith and she's like, oh my God, you have such pretty eyes. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, where did that come from? And then like, there's like a bunch of double entendres about getting inside of her, right? Or like feeling around in there. And then th when she's literally a hostage, she's trying to say like, hey, you should look down there. And he's like, oh, you're pussy? Like, let me, like, let me just swim on a girl. I mean, like, if you want to do it on the <sighs> first date, that's fine. And she's like, no, you literal piece of shit. Like, I am being held hostage right now. You need to look down here. And he's like, oh, I'll get there. Don't you worry. And, like, I hated that a lot. It's, there's a lot with this movie that I hated just in terms of, like, that. Where it's so clearly, like, male gazy, written for men, by men, entirely because of men. Um, type but stuff. She, 
as herself could have been such a cool character if she, she was given a little bit of room. To if she like, was given room to play, she was like her whole like even, to be even a giant kind of, sex joke. That's all yeah, she was. Even her like kind of low voice, she was kind of like giving a bit Sultry, of a goth vibe. Yeah. She she was like hot and confident and cool, like literally the coolest person in the room. Even in the face of danger, she's like, fuck. Like, she's, she is sick, but then every time she's around them or every time she's, she has any length of dialogue, it is like, hey, do you want to fuck? Or, hey, let's fuck. And you're like, what? what, And how do they repay her for getting the information and getting what they need from her? They uh, neuralize her, they erase her memory, and nothing is there anymore, which I do want to go into um, quite a bit, but I do. I have a little bit more to say about women in this movie because <laughs> I'm very yeah. pissed off because like the, so the mortician is like the only woman basically other than the wife who is crazy like abused right by her husband who literally our introduction to him so we don't feel bad uh, about him like being killed or whatever is he say girl you've either been hit too much or too little did you poison me you're useless my truck is the only fucking good thing and then like at the end like I don't know. Then she's like laughed at because the cops didn't believe her. And even in that scene where they go and like talk to her, she's played for laughs where she's like, she's kind of crazy. And what do they do when they get what they need from her? They fucking neuralize her again. But like, I think, I think the and most then there's interesting, like the woman yeah. that Kay was into who's like, he's been fucking stalking her for so long. And he's like, oh, she's unmarried. Oh, she's this. She's waited for me. And I'm like, fucking hate all of you i think when i was younger or at least obviously the intention of like say that scene with the farmer's wife um it's supposed to like i do like that it's they set vincent d'onofrio up to be like an asshole and then she's like edgar what is it and he's like get your fat butt back inside or whatever like he's a he's a trash guy he sucks absolutely garbage so i love that setup but then truly when they show up they kind of don't I mean, they're not like as overt shitty to her, but they're not really better. And I think on first pass, especially being younger, I was like, oh, yeah, like they're believing her and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, not really. Like, oh, if we're she's looking a little at kooky the because she lives in the, you know, uh, in the s- sticks. Right. Yeah. Nobody's here. So like it, it kind of lends like. I don't know, just like the way they framed her at all was kind of a joke. So it's like, oh, oh, like, and she doesn't really even like talk about the abuse or anything. She just kind of like expects it like, oh, this is this is normal. Like, this is my life. You know, there's there's no it, it was a bad characterization. But again, I think that's one of those things where it's like in a lot of male centric scripts or like stories written by men, men are allowed to be nuanced and women aren't. Like men, men are allowed to have these sort of intersectional feelings and sort of dichotomous ways of seeing the world. They're allowed to fail and thrive, whereas most of the women are written as one dimensional. And that one dimension is an objectified sex robot or mm-hmm. somebody to look at. Like it's all it's all wrapped in the idea of sex because it is a heteronormative cis male lens that we're looking through the world at because that's who's. I mean, Kay's woman is still unmarried, right? Yeah. Oh my I mean, god! Is that, was off. that was mm-hmm. that his wife before? And that um, I think I think the implication was that like they were together, and then he gave her like he left that life to go here, but he still thinks about her. And even though she's been neuralized, whenever like that moment where she's like looking at the sky, he's like, 
she remembers me. No, I think they get married after the. But I, bit, I think they get, like, ma- they get remarried, but in the world because she doesn't remember, and neither does he. It's like them because he was like in a coma or whatever. He was in a coma, and like supposedly he was in a coma, and she was his person, but they weren't married or anything, right? So he just let her off into the ether, like stringing her along for all of these years, and then when he comes back, then it's like, cool, now let's get married and go to the Bahamas and and all of that. So. He made her wait her whole life and was like testing her kind of like, oh, well, she's still there. Oh, she's still unmarried because it wasn't like he wasn't wearing a ring. There was no no, like which a man in that position would continue to wear that ring. Right. And if like so he specifically said she's unmarried. Right. And he's still like creeping on her and using all of these. It's it's so I I feel less gross about that only because it does seem like he's who because like I feel like anytime they framed that dynamic it was always around like the what did you give up like like I I think when Will shows up it's I I mean not to say that it's why did she have to be unmarried why did he have to like be I mean for him to just constantly be checking in on her like that and like gazing at her and all of this, like he gave that up. That was his choice. And after however many years he's been with the, with the MIB, there's an invasion of privacy that like, I mean, at that, at that point, that's fucking stalker behavior. At that, at that point, there's no relation there anymore. You gave this up. It was your choice. You need to give this up. You don't need to string her along. Like they should have said like, Oh, he died, you know, in a car crash rather than, Oh, he's in a coma or something like he already like to me that shows that he kind of planned this because fucking everybody else like they erase you so you never exist. Well, why was the it thing- that he was allowed to come back and why was it just all of a sudden like oh everything's here like you get you get to do this like that doesn't make any fucking sense to me. Maybe that is just like a plot hole cuz I thought that they neuralized her also. And that's like, it's like, she's just out to do. And so then when they neuralized him, they told him that he'd been in a coma and they told her that he'd been in a coma and he woke up and they were both like in the way that they like gaslight and tell these stories. No, like it makes it, it makes it more real to the story. Sure. Even if they neuralized or whatever, they told this woman that he was in a coma and probably you can't go visit him. You can't do whatever. So like literally left her hanging for all of these years. Like, and is still fucking creeping on her. I have a problem with that. I don't yeah. like that at all. Either way, it's fucking gross and messy. And the whole neuralizer thing is really gross and messy because, like, they talk about, like, the mortician had been neuralized several times. And, like, does this cause brain damage or anything? Like, oh, we don't know. Like, it's fine, right? Yeah. So they don't give a shit about her or the people that they're they're neuralizing, right? But, like, that's, like, a throwaway line. And then later on, like, in... Uh, international the next movie we realize that it does actually have really bad psychological um like effects side effects like side, side effects side effects um because his like whole person is kind of broken because he can't remember this thing that's like this pivotal moment in his life that everybody knows him and remembers him for and by yeah. like so we've established in the canon that it does have certain uh psychological effects that are um, really detrimental, but they still don't give a shit about anybody, and they keep fucking using this. No. And also, that's, everybody that's, wears sunglasses. What the fuck? Like, yeah, that, so many people would not be neuralized. That's the whole thing. Even watching it again, uh, I think 
part of what's supposed to be like the funniness is how cavalier they are with such severe subjects like the destruction of us like in, in this one specifically like the destruction of a city block or or people possibly getting killed or the effects of like these things are like oh yeah we actually don't really know what it does maybe who knows anyways just do it and we'll move on and it's fine we have to get the job done the cavalier aspect to a lot of these very very dangerous things that they're doing I think it's supposed to be played for laughs, but in the context of we were looking at this in from a real place, like a real world, like if this was the real world, um, they would just be like nasty fucking cops. Who, I mean, like, they kind of are. They kind of already are, I know. Who just like, like literally they go pull, around, who cares? They pull over the alien who's out of his bounds, right? And his wife is giving birth in the back seat where she is like literally back there, like doing the breathing, doing the uh, screaming thing. And they don't even acknowledge her, don't even see her because they don't like women and they don't want to see them yeah. and they're not to be taken seriously. It's only the men. But then that segues into our other conversation about um, aliens and yes. um, so right from the get-go. So this is a bigger conversation about like migrants and refugees and asylum seekers and people from other countries who come to America. And this is a big conversation about that immigration process and how aliens very clearly from scene number one are surrogates. And the term alien itself is already a loaded phrase. If we're not talking about extraterrestrial beings in the general lexicon, the term aliens for immigrants as a derogatory or kind of has become that since um, for like asylum seekers and migrants and, and, and what have you people from who come to America very clearly, first scene, it's like folks from Mexico trying to come to America and they're like pulled over. And one of them, oh, my God, it's an alien. Get it? It's a double entendre. He's both an alien and an alien. And you're like, well, OK, <laughs> wait now. Hold on. Like, I think as a kid, I remember being like, oh, haha. But what if what a like what a choice. What a that. Thank you. What a fucking choice. Like, that is scene number one. <laughs> that is first and foremost the scene. Um, side note before we, like, get fully into that. I don't know why. I think I know why, but I whatever. The alien in that scene who's holding, like, the broomstick head under the coat. I, as a, like, seven-year-old identified so hard with that alien really yes that idea where it's like i think i don't know maybe it's the gay thing who knows but there's like a performativeness where like he's like you don't speak spanish huh he's like oh yeah for sure like that whole like putting on fronts and like you're trying yeah. to just blend into this thing and then they like pull it out and he's like yeah this is just me sorry and then that whole scene it resonated something in my brain that I remember so clearly as a kid watching it today where I was like, or yeah, a couple of days ago and I was like, Whoa, that was me. <laughs> like, wait, what brain, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. It's a weird, it really did unlock like a very particular feeling from my childhood rewatching this. So that's the whole thing. But yes, the, the whole movie is practically an allegory for that. And the way that the, the United States and the system as it stands treats those folks who are just trying to say seek asylum or find safety or just exist. Like they're just mm -hmm. trying to exist. And the MIB is literally like, Hey, 
you're on parole essentially you have to stay in manhattan or whatever like you cannot leave new york and it's like oh he's leaving we got to go catch him like they're just they're just fucking alien cops mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's crazy truly and they're not even like uh there's that conversation of like oh well you guys like who do you work for and they like are even worse than cops because they're like capitalist like cops where like their paycheck literally comes from patents that they hold on shit like Velcro and tape literally. and everything. And they're like, we don't bother with government because we don't like we don't want them getting into our into our stuff. You know? They're above like, the law. Yeah. So they're above the law. They're trying to pretend like they're, um, you know, like a witness protection program kind of. But they just don't want to be questioned or asked or, or asked any questions by anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that what, like you said, what is funding their entire program is stolen technology. Mm-hmm. It's stolen property. It's, it is property of other people and people that they've arrested that they are then, big air quotes, discovering for the first time and reselling. And like they're clearly <laughs> not good people because no. when, when Kay leaves, he says he doesn't want to remember his time working for the organization. Like yeah. it is a traumatizing thing for him he does not want to remember this this is not who he wants to think of himself as yeah it wasn't a good time for him Mm-mm. like given everything obviously the context of like having to give up your life and dedicating your time to this agency as a nobody as an erased citizen he doesn't want to remember sh- it's so like you're right it's so clear at the end he's like yeah i don't just do it i don't want to remember this Mm-hmm. Like there, I have some good memories, yeah. But this, I don't need it. Go. And you're like, whoa, well, okay. Yeah, he doesn't want to remember any of it because it's not only like I'm sure there's so much that he's not proud of, so fucking much that he wishes that he could erase or that is like really messy and gross. Like, how do you sleep with yourself when you when you're a cop? I don't know. Yeah. But like. <sighs> His whole job was, like, policing these uh, registered aliens that, like, most of them, I mean, like, sure, there were the um, the celebrity ones, like Dennis Rodman, ha, 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 right? And Isaac Mizrahi was on there. I was like, and what is Sylvester happening? Stallone. And Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> I was like, that's so funny. Um, but, like, most of the people are, like, taxi cab drivers and pawn shop owners and, like, newsstand. And, and so it's, like... The like literally the lower well, class and it's also because of this allegory that they've set up, it's so clearly non white Yes. Uh, non white folks, non white poor folks who yes. are uh, performing as alien in this story. So it's not even like just the first scene. It's the entire allegory of the world that they're building for the narrative. That like poor brown and black folks are aliens. <laughs> You're like, mm-hmm. oh, and they cool, have to go cool. through 84,000 steps to get anything. I mean, even like the bug when he goes to the mortuary, right? Like the MIB just walked in there and like, hey, we're going in here. Like, you know, like here's my badge. Like, because as long as you have a badge or you th- act like you're supposed to be there, like I realize there's no consequences or like they like who is in charge? What's the hierarchy? Nobody double checks. But like yeah. the bug goes in there and he's like, all right, I need this. And he's like, great, you need to fill out this and do this and do that. And here's this. And then you need to do a thing and you need to get over here and you got to put this over here. And like everybody else, like, you know, operating in this world has to do that except the MIB. Um, The iconic quote from that scene. 
Oh yes. A pet cat. <laughs> <laughs> it's just real, it's so good. And the fact that it's like David Cross also who's behind the counter is young David Cross. That's just so funny. God, Vincent D'Onofrio is so good in this movie. He's Incredible. so such a good fucking good. His character works insane. Like him just looking around and like the way that he walks, like everything about it's like a bug in a suit. He's a fucking bug in a suit. And it's Nailed so it. good. <laughs> oh. Um one moment still made me sad, and it made me sad as a kid too. When he pretends to be a waiter and he kills the king or whatever. Yeah. And then the cat is still there. And the cat goes to the morgue. Oh, like, oh, I with, cried. With, with, yes. Oh, my God. As it, Like, I mean, obviously we're watching it again. I'm like, yeah, this is really sad. But even as a kid, those scenes are just imprinted in my brain. And I'm like, oh, I wonder why, like, the cat. And it's like, oh, because it's fucking sad. <laughs> like, these were really sad moments. And you remember them very clearly because they were sad. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're, like, in my brain. And it's like, oh, that sucks. Uh, and I know too, I know that like he ends up dying, but like the real King was like the little guy inside the machine phase. Right. And so he didn't necessarily get stabbed, which also to me, I'm like, wait, how, how and why did he die? He didn't get stabbed. I was also thinking the same he, thing. But he's, you know. an, he's an autonomous little being. Like this is an autonomous creature that is in an obvious mech suit Mm-hmm. Um, how'd they die? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right. they just ran out of air. I, I like, I don't, I don't know. Either way, they die, and it's very sad. And the cat's like sad, and it's sad. Um, it's all sad. It's all sad. <laughs> yeah, the main story. Like, I still found enjoyment from it, and I think a lot of it was. I mean, big part of the conversation for the podcast. A lot of it was nostalgia. Because it was a big movie for me as a kid, this first one. Yeah. And I, no, so I, so just with that in mind, it did, even as I'm like, this is a fucking messy allegory. Like, this is, what a weird take. What a bad take. Fuck, I guess I didn't realize that that was the story. Even with all of that in mind, as I'm watching it, I'm still like, I'm still finding a lot of joy in it because of the time that I watched it as a kid where I'm like, Oh yeah. And then this, and then boom. And uh, I was still, I was still loving it. it despite like my critical eye being like, Ooh. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. What's that? <laughs> oh, um, no. I mean, watching it this time I was like, I mean, it was still like, I knew it was coming. So it's like, Oh, this is so silly. This is going to be right here. I got this. But like, I realized that there's not a lot of story and there's not a lot to the characters. Like, at all like k is just an old jaded guy uh there's like literally nothing to him uh the j is just the fish out of water so we like are are there to understand what the mib is or whatever but like and we just see him like literally regurgitating the learned language and behavior that he is like around without knowing what it means or questioning it um so like that's like the only note that I have for him, but like 
as far as characters go, there's not a lot for anybody. They, there's, they not don't, even, there's not a lot no. at all to this movie. There really isn't. And you know what, Jess? I love that. Especially <laughs> for a movie that has almost nothing to say. It's a lot of action scenes, some really good performances, and some fun, fun CG and like practical makeup stuff. Mm-hmm. Apart from that, there really isn't anything to it. And I love it. Because to me, <laughs> don't spend 30 minutes on Will Smith. Don't spend 40 minutes on Tommy Lee Jones. Who are they? He's a disgruntled employee who works here as kind of a cop. Cool. He's an actual cop who joins this and is the fish out of water. Cool. That's literally all I need to know. Throw them in. The bad guy? Let me see Just it. a big ass cockroach. Bad what guy does he want to big... do with that galaxy? Who the fuck knows? Eat it just, maybe? Who cares? <laughs> he wants he's, it. Yeah. He's a bug that wants it. Yeah. <laughs> and so for that, I'm just like, yeah, let him go. He oh wants it. They need it. Go. Play. Play the game. <laughs> I want to see you guys up, play it. <laughs> when they pick up the World Weekly News and the Sun and everything, and they're like, this is the best investigative reporting on the planet. Yeah. That got me so good. It's, I knew it was great, coming, and I was like, it's, it's such a good line. It's, it's a great so joke. And there, there are some really good jokes in here, too. I think the whole like slapstick humor of Will showing up to MIB and like taking the test... Where like he's in the booth trying to like with his pencil, his pencil breaks and, and he's then, like, like it rips dragging the the table drag and the loud screeching, like him being like, You wanna get it on this table? Like all of those moments, like A, he's so funny. Just he it's perfect and so well written and so funny. And then even like the target practice where he only shoots target one practice, person. Yes. And then them being like, why did you shoot the little white girl? He's like, well, let's put it into Quantum physics. And it's, yeah. And it's more of a, it's, and I like that. And like, it was like I a wish... really good deep analytical thing where everybody else is like shooting monsters. And he's like, little... no, he has a cold. He's got this. But the little girl with the quantum physics thing, what's up with that? Empathy, empathy and realistic observation. And I do wish that As that was more on so unrealistic no cops have that um i wish that that was more at the forefront of the narrative we're like that was obviously like a really good scene where they like set this up like he we're getting really good insight into his character he's bringing a new perspective to this that these other people don't obviously he's the outlier and that's a fucking yes but they don't really dip into that later he doesn't get to use that intelligence for anything really he like Every once in a while, he'd be like, so is the neuralizer safe? Like, and like, oh, well, we should, uh, let's give this person a happier memory. Let's do, like, let's do that. But, like, he doesn't ever get to use his, like, his head for anything. It's just, like, squish bug is it. So that's actually one of my, the biggest things that I liked about the next one is, and we'll get into it. But in this one, instead of ascribing, like, or, or at least presenting his way of seeing the world, he tries to assimilate into the already established structure of what is and not questioning things, whereas Tessa Thompson is the exact opposite. Given this prescriptive, this is the way things are done, she'll still be like, well, I know these things, so that's technically no because this is wrong. And they're like, oh, I guess you're right. She comes in and kind of changes things with her unique perspective, whereas Will Smith doesn't. Yeah, no, he's just kind of like... Oh, I got a unique perspective. But as the movie goes on, instead of like using his own words, he just starts to regurgitate that yeah. of the organization itself. He he starts performing like the other people and not being this individual. He's yeah, it's and that's I wish it like had taken the other turn where he's like, no, actually, it should be different. And you're like, yeah, that's like a better take. That's a more interesting version of the story. Either way, 
Squish bug. Um, squish bug. <laughs> there was a line in here that I feel like clearly illustrates this movie's perspective on uh, immigration and uh, asylum seekers and migrants in general. When bad alien ship is coming to town and uh, these other aliens start leaving Earth, uh, Rip Torn, which never is that name not going to be good. <laughs> Rip Torn says, I think Will or Tommy Lee asks, like, hey, why why are people leaving? His response is, why does a rat desert a ship? And I'm like, Ooh. oh. Yeah, I glanced like, over that line. Yeah, it's very, it's very quick. And I'm like, oh, I feel like that's like, I feel like that's the perspective of the movie. Like, mm-hmm. already, like, allegorically, that's how they're being portrayed. But this line is very clearly, like, aliens are rats and aliens as a surrogate for this entire group of people in the real physical world. It feels like that's just the perspective. And this is like the line that sinks the key into that idea. And I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. Well, and what? I guess, mm. yeah. Cause Ugh. like also when you think about the aliens that we saw, like they're in their alien form, right? We saw the first uh, guy at the border, right? That like, was like fine at first and then somebody looked at him funny and then he fucking went off and was about to kill them, which make no sense to me at all. Like yeah. he was just like, what the fuck ever? It's like, okay, we're just going to have him blow up. It's going to be great. So like just unhinged, unstable kind of, right? Like with that narrative. And then the um, the like five aliens that are always around the coffee pot with like yeah. the, the cigarettes. Yeah, like that is, uh, that was incredibly a, racist. There's <laughs> a lot. There's a lot. Like the pug, <sighs> the pug, oh, which I did love. He had his little familiar. That was so great. So cute. Yeah. I love the pug, but yeah, it's, it is that uh, it like just the more I think about this line too, the more it's just like the idea that like rats are like, and again, this is only in this context, like the idea that like rats on a ship are like vermin and freeloaders is sort of like the context Mm -hmm. is like this weird racist, like patriot, like faux patriotic perspective of like, I'm American and anybody who's not from here is a freeloader on the government. Like that whole conservative, Mm -hmm. like toxic fucking don't tread on me snack bullshit, like weird gun toting asshole shit. Like that's that is where it feels like this is coming from, from this like patriotic perspective of America first. And it's like, the more I spend time in this, in this like line, the more I'm like, Oh man, like that really is kind of a lot of this movie in the way that it portrays (laughs) these these people. That's like the whole movie kind (laughs) of, I mean, anybody that isn't a man and that isn't American is treated like that. So, I mean, a hundred percent is so so messy and i mean even like the tony shalhoub scene which obsessed with and love tony shalhoub iconic but like the pawn shop and like they're just like it's like these b cops going in and like causing a ruckus amongst like these sort of low-income communities like Mm -hmm. fuck and then like the he literally just blows his head off and like that's the joke it's like, like oh, he'll, he'll just, grow back. He'll just grow back. You don't get it yet. And you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, what is, what, what actually is happening? Mm-hmm. I mean, 
is the mm, I hate how much that stinks. Is that line forever in my brain? Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. As a kid, was it the funniest thing in the world? Absolutely, like obsessed with. But even still, it's like, oh, there's a lot in this movie. That's and and for that reason, I'm so happy it's so short. Like literally, just give me the story and get the fuck out of there. Like that was the whole vibe. Was show me by the time i'm even invested we got 15 minutes left knock it out credits will smith song let's go i'm off we're leaving <laughs> i do love that song it's a great song and it's a great song in my brain and the uh, music video with the alien dancing in the warehouse yes yes, yes yeah. love um there are also like a lot of fat jokes here oh too. yeah like mm-hmm. and i was like taken aback by that i was like oh, oh. okay Oh yeah, you're you're half the man. I, yeah, uh, I am half the man. You are fucking lay off the donuts. And I was just like, oh my god, like that's also like pivotal to our to our understanding of Jay because it's one of the first fucking things out of his mouth. Yeah, it is a really gross way to set a character. But the thing is, it's so intentional because especially at that time in the general pop culture, what it's ninety seven, right? Mm-hmm. Ninety seven. America hates fat people. The culture, like that is that is such a popular way of seeing the world and kind of still is. Fat people are disgusting and are nasty and that is a character flaw and it's a defect. If you're fat, you're wrong and bad. Always. I mean, back but it then had it was no consequence on the story and that character was there for literally five seconds and like Be- it was just fodder. Because For literally no reason. Because I think from the from the perspective of an audience, like especially for that time, how are we going to get the audience to resonate with this lead character? Oh, we just saw Will Smith, like big, strong athlete who's so fast and so athletic and whatever. We're like, yeah, he's the hero. Let's root for him. Suddenly this like bigger cop shows up and is like, and not, not that I'm like rooting for this cop, but like at the same him being the butt of a joke because of his physical appearance is so just boring and like nonsensical. The way that they played it too, just to be like, yeah, the audience is with us because like, yeah, you should call him fat. Fucking what a joke. And it's like, I, I feel like it's a way that, from a writing perspective, it was supposed to get the audience to like identify with Will Smith because it is like kind of one of the first scenes with him. There's like the chase well, sequence and, and then immediately in that room and he's like, you're a fat ass. And you're like, yeah, you tell him, Will. Like, oh. Well, and the whole reason that Jay okay. or that Kay wants to test Jay is because he was fast enough to keep up with an alien. So he could just run fast. So he's fine. So that's also a reward for being fit. Yeah. Right. And exactly. not so it's it was lazy writing. It's lazy writing and it's also just it is such an unchecked aggression um because of the way that our culture perceives fatness as a mm-hmm. whole. Where it's just like, yeah, it's acceptable to demean fat people or bigger people or however, that's fine. Do it. Mm-hmm. They're bad and they should feel bad. And it's like, wow, that's I mean it's it's learned behavior, it's not behavior, it's part it's part of the fucking curriculum here, apparently. <laughs> oh apparently. my god! Apparently, yeah, it's nasty. Yeah, I don't really have anything else to say about this movie because there is nothing to it. I I also don't have anything else to say. <laughs> um, once again, I think. Oh, here's my only thing. Once again, a Danny Elfman moment. That's it. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> I Danny did. Elfman I was score. like, oh yeah, that's right. That was him. 
And then in the second one too, he also did the scoring for the second one or for the oh. re- reboot. Hmm. Anyways, let's scoot on over. Let's do it. A young girl named Molly and her family have an alien encounter, which prompts MIB to show up and neuralize her parents. Unbeknownst to the agents, Molly helps the alien escape and retains her memory as it's believed she was asleep the whole time. Flash forward 20 plus years and we see Molly's obsession with space has now been amplified and coupled with her search and insatiable desire to find and become part of the organization that neuralized her parents. When the opportunity arises, she jumps in headfirst and after a rocky start, lands herself a probationary position as Agent M in MIB, where she is sent to London to identify an issue within that branch of the agency. Immediately upon arrival, she inserts herself in the mission of resident hunk and hero Agent H, which turns out to be more trouble than it's worth. Under the rocky start leads her to almost being pimped out to an alien prince and being killed by galaxy twins, but not before she is handed literally the most powerful weapon in the world. She then proceeds to save H's job, convince the MIB there's a mole in the department, but they soon find themselves on the run again from their own MIB agents and those pesky galaxy twins. They pick up a new friend named Pawnee who pledges his life to M, his new queen, and head to meet H's ex-girlfriend Riza, who's a crime girl boss extraordinaire. They make it out and over to the Eiffel Tower where it's revealed H was neuralized by High T, the boss of the London branch, and daddy type figure to H. Because he's actually the terrifying alien race, the Hive, now H&M must confront the Hive daddy and save the world for real this time. H&M, H&M. saves the world. H&M save the world. Mm-hmm. No more goddamn H&M. A RuPaul <laughs> quote. Um, okay. I'd never seen this. Same. Um, as a story, just overall, over overall, as a story, base level, I really enjoyed it. I just wish, because here's my thing. I loved Molly's story. The backstory of her seeing the alien and her like literally doing everything she can to find them. And then she finally finds them. I wish we got at least 15 more minutes with that. Like the moment, the moment she like peeks her head, she sees the pigeons flying through the barrier and then she peeks her head in. I wish that when she peeked her head and she just touched the fence and it was like, fuck, Mm -hmm. I thought I had it. I worked so hard. I thought that was going to be it too. I thought it was because that to me, I'm like, yes, she's working. She's working. She's working. Give her, have her fail. Like we need that. She needs that for a story. And then something else happens by happenstance. And then she sees something else. She's like, no, I already know this. But then it works. And she's like, yes, I'm in. The fact that they give it to her immediately. I was like, no, I want more of this. I want more of her backstory. I want more of her. Like, not that I want her to struggle, but like, She's already like such a cool character. I love the way she's performing this role. Like I love everything about this person. I want to see their story ups and downs in all of its glory. And I feel like they just it just happened too fast. Like take away a lot of the scenes of like Hemsworth like in the club and like ooh yeah like touch my butt and like wake up with the alien like ooh we don't need any of that shit. Take that away. Give yeah, her more that shit didn't to need do. To be there. It didn't need to be there. I'm set like Take that, all that, that away. That one scene had no <sighs> nothing to do. He's playing poker. It made me so mad, Jess. And then the like, fact- oh, let's wake up. Uh, you'll do anything. And she just like fucks her. And I'm like, he, like uh, okay. why did we spend 10 fucking minutes on this? 10 minutes on this James Bond-esque poker scene. That, that does not nothing. matter to th- 
anything she that if that alien came back later on and he's like you owe me or something like great okay like tie this in but it has no fucking payoff it's just look at how cool he is and you could have done that with a montage of like he's in ibiza shot he's in portugal shot he's in australia shot like he's partying that's the whole vibe he's kind of a bad boy he kind of parties you could sum that up in 15 seconds we don't need a 10 to 15 minute fucking scene where this random alien is willing to kill her assumed boyfriend to fuck chris hemsworth mm-hmm. what it's chris right this is the chris yes okay cool <laughs> sorry wait, now you have which me... which hemsworth is wait, this now you... yeah it's, wait, chris. Is it? it's yeah. chris right okay wait, hold on <laughs> can we look it up like... <laughs> i know i second guessed it in my head and now suddenly oh my god and now i'm just yeah it's chris it's, it's chris, chris. okay good 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 but like no that a whole s- no i'm just kidding oh <laughs> I'm just my kidding. god <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm like yeah okay you're right um, we didn't need any of that it was so nonsensical like I like from a world building perspective we're getting some like new character designs we're getting that cool snake we're getting this cool game this liquid he's drinking like I like all of those moments but it is so pointless to the story where we're already developing this really great narrative with Molly which everything history, matters which everything and yeah so to me I'm like Take away these nonsense scenes just to give Hemsworth space. This is her story. Make her story matter more. Like, it just, it just, I, like, especially when that all that's happening and then there's this scene that means nothing and matters less than nothing. I'm like, oh, I feel like that was such a waste because she's so cool. And I'm, like, ready. I'm ready for her. This whole time, I'm, like... I'm watching it and it's so fucking cool because we see her like have this moment when she's a little kid. She's like, cool, I got this. You go here. Like, I'm I'm going to do this. And she's already reading about like quantum physics and like time and stuff like that, which is hilarious coming off of that scene from the yeah. first movie. Um, but she's like already into this and she's like very just like, yes, and cool, let's do this. And the next time we see her, she is literally applying to like the FBI, the CIA, and she's like makes her own boxes. And she's like, cool, this is actually what I want to do. Oh, this is not who you are. Okay, thank you. Goodbye. Like, and she like, she doesn't get the job because she decides she removes herself when she realizes, no, okay, I know exactly what I want. You are not that. So I'm leaving. And that that whole that whole development of character, I'm like, yes, it's so specific, it's so cool. I'm like, she is such, she's so fucking sick. She like the FBI is like, yeah, we'll hire you. She's like, "Mm, but are you hiring me for this? They're like, no. She's like, then never mind. Like, well, but part of me too, right? (laughs) Because look at the MIB, both in. I we didn't really get to see a lot of the. the new york branch right but we did see a little bit more of the london branch Mm -hmm. it's all fucking white yeah and i loved that uh madam o or like agent o or whoever it was like it that branch was run by a woman she fucking knew something was wrong with london she's like cool i'm gonna send you over here to do that i i love that women are and they called out a, a bunch of times like men in black uh like yeah and i i like that they called that out they could have done something different but they were at least acknowledging and it you know what i mean i loved it too but at the same time i'm like where does the movie end up spending most of its time on Hemsworth? Like, on these other people. So I'm like, well, the, the movie's saying the thing that it wants to be doing, but is still doing the thing that's wrong. Yes, exactly. And I'm like... Because, like, so we see, like, Tessa Thompson's character, Molly, who, like, literally has to fucking 
not have friends, work her ass off, like, it has her fucking suit ready at all times, hacks into NASA, does all of this stuff to get this job, to even get a probationary spot in this organization, right? And her, like, selling point is, I have nothing, I have nobody, you want me, these are the kind of people you want. And we see Hemsworth, who is, like, the cishet white man that is just a pretty face who fucks everything up and fucks everything and like doesn't have like a lot of substance to him like why is he there why is he regarded as like one of their best agents and stuff like that when he literally keeps fucking up and we see like everybody like all of the men kind of like protect him except for c who's like kind of out to get him which is cool but like again this is like I feel like that was also a commentary on, uh, like, women, especially black women, having to do the most to get into these positions or get get ahead, get to where they want to be, and literally being paired with the man that, the cishet white man that does nothing, and they literally have to end up doing all of the fucking work, and they both get the praise at the which end. Is, which is exactly what this story should be, like... He fails, she saves him, and she's just a probationary person at this job, which is why I'm like, this is supposedly the story that this movie's trying to tell. Why are we pulling from her story then? It's hers. Give her the backstory she deserves. Give us more character with her. Give us more of her world. Why are we pulling it for this nobody nonsense pretty boy? You know what I mean? Like, it just, I'm like, that big disconnect for me is like, well, walk the walk then, y'all. Like, what's the deal? Like, if this is that story about, like, inequity and, like, cishet white patriarchy, like, then say it. Then make that the story. Make her the protagonist, not the buddy to the protagonist. Make it her fucking story. Like, they already started it. It's already there. There's already the bones of her as the lead, him as the plucky fuck-it-up sidekick, who is only there because he's pretty and white and a man. That's already there. The bones are already there. We already got it. But they continue to make it more his story than hers, especially with his whole my ex-girlfriend thing, which I'm like, okay, sure, but also... And she's the only reason why they even get out of that situation because she because of her kindness years and years ago she's, she's right? literally and saving she's the reason that the hive is destroyed because of her kind uh, again because of her kindness to Pawnee right who then saves her and then she like gets the alien right but like I do think that they focus too much on Hemsworth I still think that I think that this was her movie though like all of my notes I, are basically like, about her um but i mean they like to me it because yes it is written like she saves the day she's the reason they get out of that jam she's the reason they get out of every jam her backstory as a child everything yes but they spent so much time with him they don't need like, to and, and then at the end there's to. like oh well Pawnee's gonna watch you because we're like boyfriend girlfriend now and i was like that was very boring who was this? Okay, hold on. I need to look up who this was written by because this feels so like it was written by a man. Yes, two actually, and they wrote Iron Man. That's oh, their that other tracks. big. That's their other big claim so to fame. That's they're, why... they're the screenwriters from Iron Man. Yeah. So that's why they were so like so insistent on putting Chris Hemsworth in there as this like 
as the character that he is in there, which yeah. like we'll get yeah, into that. But like yeah. then like forcing like the hey, no, you're together. No, you you guys yeah. are together. You're a thing. Just, just from a thematic standpoint in writing, I'm like, that did make perfect sense when I looked it up. I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. So this is very much that story. Mm-hmm. Um and not to not to like completely discredit because I do think like the Molly storyline is really powerful and I think Tessa sells it so so hard I think so there's does. like there's like really good bo- there, I keep saying bones there's really good bones here <laughs> like it's a really there really really is but like they're just ah, I'd like Chris Hemsworth I think he's cool generally why is he here like just fucking give it to te- take him away give it to Tessa and let her like she obviously was the only interesting part of this movie overall. Let her carry it. She can do it. What he the was fuck? Like, he was acting like he was in the hangover. I know. kind of how I felt. It was like so he was boring. <laughs> Personally, he took me out of the movie a lot. And I do like the two of them together when they're playing and riffing off each other, which they did do in Thor Ragnarok, which was which was great. But yeah. um I think in this one they were just so obsessed with making him like this like weird party boy that just wants to like fuck aliens and which also like because i i do feel like part of that in his character is because he was neuralized and because we know that there is some sort of brain damage that happens with that right and some sort of trauma that like the brain cannot reconcile this thing and he literally like there's paintings of this act that he did on the wall when like he just keeps saying that one line over and over and over again and he can't dig in and like so part of him is trying to reconcile that through sex and alcohol which because they say this like everybody says this isn't you this isn't who you are this is not the person i remember right something happened what happened to you so they're recognizing that something has happened just not what and they're not they didn't go the whole way with it they set it up and if they would have like fallen followed through with that i think that would have been a much i think i wouldn't have been as annoyed oh with yeah. as much screen time as he got because i think that's a really cool interesting story like let's talk about how like the practices that the men in black use are actually problematic and yeah. uh, the ramifications that it has on literally everybody that it comes into contact with let's have this conversation let's talk about um gaslighting and let's talk about all of this but they don't go there they just they kind don't. of like give you this little nugget but like it's it's and like they don't even really resolve that or him they, at they all. They really don't. I and really... he's rewarded at the end for it because they're yeah. like, "Oh well, you should leave London." He's like, "No, there's way better people to lead London than me." And they're like, "No, there's not. You got you it. You got it, Queen." And you're like, "What is?" And happening? you're like, "He's so messy. He's like, he needs therapy. He queen. needs a lot of. He's struggling a lot." And I think you're 100% right. If they'd leaned into that storyline as a part of like an ethical narrative, like a conversation about ethics, would have loved it. And I honestly, and maybe this is just my own bias here, I think if they leaned harder on Molly, we would have gotten that. If he wasn't as much of the lead in just the sidekick, I feel like that would have been his main narrative. And then the scene at the end, when they're in the elevator going up to Eiffel Tower, the way she sells her like worry and sadness for him when she's like, say it again. And he's like, Oh yeah, it was this. And she's like, say it again. And then he says it and it's the same line. She has tears in her eyes. She feels so sad for him. And so like, there is so much like emotion and like 
I want like I feel so bad for you and I want to be there for you and like she sells it so hard but because of the way that it's set up leading to that it doesn't really land as hard as I feel like that performance should have landed in that elevator you know and so I think you if that narrative that you're talking about was at the forefront and he was less at the forefront but that was largely what we talked about with him way better way better because then mm-hmm. she's uh, I don't know there's just because then because then like we wouldn't have needed that whole fucking dance-off sequence in the club like I love the car seat loved that it. was fucking cool amazing again some of the world building stuff and like the character dynamic or not the dynamics the character art the character design a lot of that stuff I was like so impressed by the world building of it yes but that whole sequence with like What's his name? The alien who ends up dying and gives them the weapon. That was why did three, we do that? It was a three years long. B only literally the only reason we were there is so he can flirt with her. Because like, be inside, have a two minute conversation about everything. Watch them poison him. Get outside. Why are the twins dancing, having a dance off? That makes no sense. Um, also, when they like. These are just like little bits that I think. Why are the aliens still people of color? Yeah, and like and, what? Like why? And do we... why aren't we? They just say like uh, the subtitle speaks foreign language, but yeah. it is clearly like. Yeah, it's a weird caricature situation. Which, no thanks. Like it's oh, it's everywhere in the Middle East. Like are what? Where are we? What are we doing? Like what? And we're terrorizing this this town in the Middle East. Like, yeah. oh, sure, of course. Like, the London branch is here terrorizing this town. Terrorizing cool. Marrakesh. Why the fuck cool. are they here? Yeah. Like, suppose like, so uh, there's a it's lot just, of uh, grossness yeah. with it's this. It's a lot of grossness. Um, and it it really that that bothered me. And, and the twins, like that whole thing, like was a cool dynamic and a cool thought, but like. Why were they killing people to get that thing? Like, I didn't understand if they were just trying to save their their species or whatever with that gun. Why were they being terrors to everybody? Yeah, that's, like, that uh, didn't make sense. That's such an unearned narrative. That's such an unearned, like, villain. They, they like, didn't explain them. A, the designs were incredible. These, like, galaxy twins. Where they, like, break open and suddenly they are everything. And you're like, this is amazing. The way that they kill, scary as fuck. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. Terrifying. But who the fuck are they? And why are they here? And why are they killing people? None of, like, yeah, sure. They're trying to get this to save their, like, it just, the development of those characters specifically was so unearned. And so unthought, like, I feel like the only, the only character, and thankfully, the only character that they really spent any time developing was Molly, which is why I'm like, give her the fucking movie. (laughs) Just like, you've already, you're already doing it. You're already making this her thing. Stop spending time with these nobodies and write better small parts for them. Don't try to give these big parts to these people who really don't matter. It's her story. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. It made yeah. me so mad. I was just like, I'm so much more. She's so cool. Like the way she goes to Hemsworth's desk and like catches him sleeping. And then the way she like <laughs> kind of gaslights him into bringing her along or like coerces him into bringing her along. And like the look on her face when she walks away, she's like, yes, 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 I got it. And then he's like, oh, and then 
uh when he's like oh wait maybe come back and like she's like yes yes, yes. and she turns around like so cool and collected like <laughs> yes yeah you're like she's just <laughs> she is so developed and interesting and cool and like I, I don't care about Liam Neeson. I don't care about Hemsworth. I don't care. I mean, I care kind of about I do about love that the... the real bad guy was a white man. Yes, same. <laughs> at the top. That was same. like, yeah. So that was, but like we didn't really develop him as a villain at all. We no. didn't even develop the hive at all. What the fuck was the hive? Like that kind of came out of nowhere. It felt so but disjointed. We we had to spend 84 years with Chris Hemsworth making sure that we knew that he was a party dude. And uh, then we had to have Tessa Thompson go talk to his ex-girlfriend who he gaslit and he told he even told tessa he's like oh i mean like whatever it wasn't even a thing and then the truth comes out where he's like well actually you were the assignment but i did fall in love with you blah 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 yeah. right and i'm just like first of all rizza your hair is hella cool right her wig was Ryza. great yeah. yeah hella cool um but two why are we here why are we here literally why are we, why are we here, here? yeah that's the like, biggest question I had was, who is she? Love her character. Love the idea of her. She doesn't belong in this movie. We shouldn't be on her island. Why are we here? It's also, only why was so it we can so see- fucking easy for them to get on and off the island? They didn't. Like, it's supposed to be this top secret security, and they didn't check the rest of the fucking boat. Bullshit. And she doesn't have... She had cameras. We saw the fucking cameras. And she had cameras. And so what? Like, somebody's just not at the desk, and they don't... like. It's bog. It's so bogus. It's bogus as fuck. There are so many moments like that. that like also, okay, you know what? Let's just dive in. The train. I have a problem with this train because really, why? well, because when it showed up in the station, it looks like a regular train station. Yeah, obviously to like hide. It's being covert. But, but it's also under MIB, which is silly. It's under MIB, and there's aliens walking around, and then it transforms where it's like, oh, so now we're like, can do the alien thing. I'm like, no, you would do that in a regular station, but this is the alien station. And then later, it never transforms It never back. transforms again. Yeah. And I'm like, you only did that so you can do the train sequence. It did not make sense. There's so many different easy ways to make that happen. And, Ugh. like, I love- Mess. Made like, me so mad. <laughs> Like, yeah, just change it back. That's a quick, just change it. Like, just that's fine. It. Or, like, or do and a sequence. I love this, like, do, oh. shadow kind of, like, top secret, like, you know, super, like, I love that kind of, like, visual world building that they were doing. Yeah. But then, like, it was just kind of like, okay, what? Maybe it was an editing thing. Maybe there was a sequence in there that just didn't make it and it was, like, already running along because they... Again, do have a lot of storylines, like the command on Johnny stuff as a sidekick. You have Tess's whole backstory. You have Hemsworth's backstory. You have this. We like, do you know that editing can ruin a good movie? It really can. So part of me thinks like that couldn't have been an oversight. Like it seems like something so small. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, as a whole, I think I did still enjoy it, and really. Like, I like the dynamic with the, and I'm going to just, I know he's not out, but the gay one, the sidekick who was jealous of Hemsworth and was always like, see, yes. And that moment, okay, I don't know if you felt this, but when C finds out that it's not Hemsworth, right, and that it's Liam Neeson, and they're like, oh, we figured it out, they're at the party, and when he, uh, Hemsworth runs away and he's like, oh, just tell him that I was the mole. Like that whole sequence, there was some sexual tension. Ooh. They were, they both, like from both of them, because obviously from C, because he's like, 
canonically now gay in my uh, my version of this story. He is very gay and very in love with Hemsworth. Hemsworth was given it right back. And there's this moment where I was like, do they kiss in this movie? And then they don't, obviously. <laughs> but did you notice that at all? I am I wild? Am I just wildly out of? You know what? I wasn't looking out for it. Oh my like, god! For that at, at that exact moment, um, but I mean, now in my head canon, that's exactly what it is. It's kind of like his eyes are a little bit welled up, and he's like, "I." It to me, I feel like like this is a moment they may not see each other ever again. Hemsworth is leaving, and I felt like he's about to say like, "I've always loved you." Or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he may never yeah. see him again. And that's where I feel like the performance was coming from. So I was like... <gasps> but Is that why they had to reiterate at the end that it was straight? I, maybe. Maybe. Maybe there was just too much sexual tension between them and they had to oh make sure. Oh, my God. Yes. Mess. <laughs> I mean, ideally, that's where it would be. But... I mean, I'm eh. very here for that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have anything else to say about this movie. I, I don't either. Is this going to be a short little episode? I kind of love that. I think it is. I mean, oh. like, if it was just Tessa Thompson's movie 100%, or if I, like, dove into, like, Hemsworth's um, trauma, cool. But Iconic. It yeah. wasn't there. It wasn't there. All right. Well, let's scoot on to the outro. So... We went to MIB headquarters. We came back. Um, Eric. We didn't remember a goddamn thing. We were <laughs> neuralized. And now we're going to drink and have lots of sex with everybody. <laughs> with aliens. We're going to. Yeah. Whatever. Ugh. With all the aliens. Yeah. Um, who was the 1997 version for? It was for white patriotic American men. That's who. That's literally who it was for. And cops. And it was for cops. Absolutely. <laughs> White American patriotic men and cops. Boom. Who do you think it was for? Um, yeah. I mean, like, truly. Shit. That's what it felt like. That's literally what it felt like. I mean, this watch is exactly like, I mean, that first scene was just so fucking messy. Like, it's I could messy. not believe that that was the first scene. I was like, I, I paused the movie and I was like, really? Is this what we're doing? Is this where we're starting? Holy shit. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, that's 100% who it was for. Did you like it? You know what? This is one of those moments where, like, I have to dig deep in my soul. I know that it's not very good, but nostalgia is really driving my interest in it still, even after critique, and I'm still going to say I like it. I do. I do still like it. I am still into it. That's unfortunately going to be my answer. <laughs> I like that you unfortunately this is going to be my answer because it is true but I also understand why it's bad mm-hmm. you know what I mean like yeah. I get it I understand it but I still like it yeah I think so I went into this movie being like stoked just like hell yeah not only is this going to be like an easy week like it's going to be like a break it's going to be so great um, but I went to this and I was like I'm, I'm, pro- I'm going to like this yeah. not thinking about what the story is or just like yeah i like this um i like it a lot less now like yeah. before it would be like oh yeah fuck yeah let's let's men in black is on let's watch this um no i don't think i'd ever have that re- i don't think i'm gonna watch that movie again yeah i know it's <sighs> a big like i will rewatch my favorite parts which are the apart cat 
Um, I'll break out. <laughs> yeah. I'll rewatch like that on YouTube. I don't need to sit through this whole thing again. Just a Vincent, a Vincent D'Onofrio supercut. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my God. The way he moved his body. Just it's like, it's incredible. literally. Incredible. I know that like, I don't know if this movie got like nominated for anything, but his performance, Oscar worthy. I'm like not even kidding. Character work. Give it to that man. Give it to him now. He's so good in this movie. Yeah, so, so good. I mean, all of his character work. I know we were talking about this off the pod, but, like, I did not realize that he was Kingpin. It's, like, you know what? I'm just going to do it real quick. What I'm going to pull up what he's been in because it's literally so, like, wild. Oh, he was in Full Metal Jacket. Okay. He was also in Adventures in Babysitting, Mystic Pizza. He was in Men in Black. Um, He's been in a ton of stuff, but I'm only doing – oh, he was in The Cell. He played the bad guy in the cell. Oh, my um, God. I just saw the... I didn't realize the tagline for Men in Black was protecting the earth from the scum of the universe. Literally. It's all... Isn't Ooh. that gross? Isn't that Ooh. gross? Yeah. I'm never watching this again. Yeah. That's... And you know what? That might be the last straw for me, too. That was actually not good. I'm never watching this again. Oh, oh he, he was... was he, in Edward. Yeah. He was also in Jurassic World. Oh, I he guess, was the, yeah. He, he was, was the bad guy. guy. Yeah. yeah. Ma- Magnificent Seven. He was just in the eyes of Tammy Faye, which we just watched, which was fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we yeah. Got well, we got it. But, oh, God, I love He's so, he is so talented. It's insane. Okay. okay. This is a Vincent D'Onofrio stand account now. <laughs> We've decided. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So now 2019. Uh, Men in Black International. Mm-hmm. Was it new, interesting, or the same? Progressive or regressive? I think it was new in the way that it pushed the story forward, but also tried to establish a new story. Um, And I also thought it was interesting the way that, like, Tessa grew up trying to get into the MIB. Like, that's, like, a way more interesting than just, like, a happenstance cop to me. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was way more interesting of a of a a motivation of like a a driven character. It's not happenstance. It's like intention. And I'm like, ooh, I want to know that character more. Um, I thought it was pretty progressive. Just like again, in the way that it, like recognized like men, it was very clearly like a conversation about that. And there was a I it just it was progressive, but not to me progressive enough. I feel like they skirted that a little bit just to get like feminism points, which felt a little bit disingenuous um, because like they could have, they just could have done so much more. But from the first one, I do think it was progressive. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think that it was new. I think it was interesting. Some of the world building that they were trying to do. Um, it was the same enough where it's like, cool, yeah. this is still men in black. Um it was a little bit pro, like it was still progressive, but maybe in more of a regressive way, like performative progressiveness. Yeah, because felt, the yeah. aliens were still people of color, the white people were still in charge of men in black. They kept mentioning like, "Oh, uh, why isn't the women in black, huh?" And there's like that awkward thumbs up moment from fucking Hemsworth, where is like, "Cool, you recognize that this is bad." But you are still being performative about it because you're not actually taking any action. You're just acknowledging the fact that this is bad and non-inclusive, right? It had this really cool, like, 
moment. Like, I love Molly, loved everything about her. But coupled with Hemsworth and the way that they, they told his story, like, they could have made it really cool. Like, you know, this big, strong hunk guy that everybody loves is vulnerable and had something traumatic and awful happen to him. Like, normalize talking about that or, like, dealing with that or recognizing that. But instead of, like, trying to have any sort of moment with that, um, again, they just kind of recognize it for a second and move the fuck on. Yeah. Um, and we don't see him deal with it. We see Tessa deal with it. We see her tears in her eyes while he's just like, he's so numb to it, yeah. you know, because we can't see big, strong man cry. Because yeah. um, big, strong man cry is not sexy. I mean, I mean, he's got to be sexy. It could be sexy, though. No, I I mean, like, the language of the movie is like, oh, no, if he cries, he's not hot anymore. He's got to be hot. There's <laughs> this great um, scene in Ted Lasso season two. I haven't finished it, but um, Keely and the retired football player get together and the one that's like, fuck, fuck. And he's like, he's totally this man's man, right? And he, like, catches her masturbating uh, one day. And uh, he's like, oh, what gets you off, babe? And he's like, goes and looks and it's him crying on TV on his last football game. And he is like, uh, he is just fucking like weeping like and it was like the ugly cry. Right. And she's like iconic. And she's like, it just I don't know. And he's like, what the fuck? And then like at the end of the episode, he's like, I got you. And he like he's like give me your phone and he pulls it up and he gives it to her and he goes down on her while she's watching that and he's like like just embracing this for her and oh i'm my just God. like i That's love sweet. that moment yeah um but we can have these moments y'all <laughs> we 100 percent could i don't think that this movie has the emotional intelligence or the emotional no, integrity to make that happen but but yeah, like <laughs> it, it is possible it, let's change it. Uh, yeah. Women in black, thumbs up. God, it was just so, <laughs> it was so haphazard. Like, oh shit, we need, like, I just, it felt so disingenuous. It was so yeah. black. It felt very, um, it felt like it was trying to be progressive, but it was just incredibly performative, which yeah, made it ugh. regressive yeah. in those ways. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Tessa was fucking, she should be running the show. It's her movie. Give her more time. What the fuck? She was like it. She was it. It's her she movie. She was the I it girl. Know. It just made me so mad. Like, uh, it, it would have been way better if they just write the movie like it's her movie and it would have been better. Just, yeah. Ugh. Who was it for? Performative feminists. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say performative male feminists. <gasps> Ooh, that's even better. That's actually even better. Yeah, I just uh, was reminded, uh, I think it was Shit You Should Care About or one of those accounts that like posted a bunch of dudes wearing the gray shirt that says um, this is what feminist uh, feminist looks like. Oh, my God. In like 2014. And it's like Benedict Cumberbatch and like five other guys. And it was the like, classics. This is who this movie was for. <laughs> um, did you like it? I liked it enough. I thought parts of it were good. As a whole, it was fine. Yeah. I liked it. I liked it. Did you like it? Um, yeah, I I liked it enough. I would watch it again. Mostly because of my love for Tessa Thompson yeah, and because of true. how strong her character was. Um absolutely a hundred like I'd I'd watch it just because I love to see her just command the whole scene. Oh oh yeah. It was fine. 
It was, I feel, it was fun. I feel very I, the same. I thought it was yeah. fun. It was like, fun. if I wasn't, like, analyzing it critically I just and just along for the wacky ride, I'd be like, okay, cool, we're here. All right, yeah. and we're here. We're doing uh, it. We're, okay, cool, <laughs> you know. But, yeah, that's how I feel about it. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, well, I think, is that it? We did it? We did it. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Um, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you can and give us a bunch of love and stars because it really helps us and we appreciate it all the time. 100%. All the time. We uh, need attention. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, our music and artwork are by Eric Lefebvre. Our editing is by Danny Barkley. And thanks again for listening, everyone. And thank, thank you. you, Eric. Thank you, Jess. <laughs> and remember, stay cute. And stay critical. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by the Nostalgia Network. Visit the NostalgiaNetwork.com for more. Hey, everybody. I'm Eric. I'm Shelby. I'm Jake. And we are the band Lousy Advice from the Lousy Advice Podcast. Come listen as we draft artists and genre-centric best-of lists. With the help of our closest friends. These lists are canon. And there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it. From Misfits to Cher. Green Day to Gaga. Or Pup to Paramore. Listen to the Lousy Advice Podcast now or else. Stream us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the Nostalgia Network, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that we are the band Lousy Advice, and this is our podcast, the Lousy Advice Podcast. The Lousy Advice Podcast? The Lousy Advice Podcast. Podcast. Podcast.